So how do how do we address uh, Alpha Chad? Do you prefer Mister Chad or <laughs> Mister Alpha? Feynor himself. What, what should we? Uh, the most most folks, whether it be on Discord or Twitter or anything like this, is just Feynor. Just fan. Okay. Just Feynor. Every once in a while, it's your highness, your liege. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's playing the part well. He's playing it really well. Yeah. No, this is this is perfect. <laughs> Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on the Walls of Isengard as we explore the many works of Tolkien and, of course, discuss life. We're glad to have you as part of the Fellowship, as there's no telling where we'll be slept off to. Slept off to? It's sounds like I've got a five-month-old. I do. I slept like two hours last night. Swept off to is where we will be headed, and today we don't even know where we're going because we get the absolute honor and pleasure of being joined today by the high king of the noldor Feanor himself mr alpha chad dude welcome to the podcast uh would you mind just kind of introduce yourself a little bit share what you're willing to share you've got that that dark screen there i mean you're you're, oh, you're what's up? What's up? fitting the vibe well yeah just kind of oh, give yeah, us yeah, a little yeah, idea yeah, yeah yeah so um i'm a i'm a massive massive tolkien fan um decided to create my twitter x account whatever whatever they're calling the site these days um back in 2021 2020 somewhere in there and just talking you know talking about middle earth talking about history things like that and um then rings of power happened and yes that's when kind of everything exploded for me at least on that platform um you know just talking with fellow tolkien fans like you guys and you know just um just getting more involved in the tolkien community as a whole so um but yeah yeah that's pretty much uh i I talk Tolkien in fantasy, and you know I I love every second of it. So that's more that's more of a slowdown of it. So we're thrilled to have you, man. I I know I've interacted with you for, with a uh, with you for a while on Twitter, and I I don't know just watching you go at the rings of power people and just pointing out all the BS. It's like <laughs> honestly, it, I look at your feed and it's like, man, this is what I would do if I just had the time to do it, yeah. <laughs> because you lay out everything in like a very I don't know. It's a logical way that makes sense where it's not, you're not just trashing rings of power fans. You're actually no. bringing quality rebuttals to all their, you know, quite frankly, all their BS. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, and I just love it. That's kind of, you know, that's kind of the thing is, you know, I, I don't want to be one of those people. Like you see a lot of people out there who will say, you know, Oh, this show sucks just because X corporation made it, or this show yep. sucks because it has X actor in it, or it has a woman who's a lead or whatever the hell, you know, it's like, no, I want to dig deep into this and explain exactly why this show is bad from both from a adaptation standpoint and also from a writing standpoint, because the two are, can be mutually exclusive. A show, yeah, can, stand, sure. a show can stand on its own, even if it's not necessarily adhering to the source material. And I'd acknowledge if the show was good on that you know, on that front, but it, it fails on both, on both counts. And I've, I, I at least like to think that I've illustrated that pretty well. So, um, yeah, yeah, you, um, you definitely have. And like I said, I've very much appreciated watching, uh, watching you dismantle their arguments piece by piece. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm going to tell you, man, when, when you get to the point where you have a whole fan base who wants to find out your personal information, that's when you know, you've made it, man. (laughs) 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 <laughs> when you're dislike that much but um no 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 no. i it's fun and you know it, it gives me an opportunity not just to like trash a show but like it's i like to talk tolkien and yep. when you know and it's like dig deep into characters like m- one of my biggest things lately has been 
on um, the topic of um, um, Sauron, orcs, etc., being irredeemably irredeemably evil. Mm, you know, yeah, yeah. and I and I go strictly based on the the actions of the character. Okay, I'm not going to go into the meta of what Tolkien was, you know, debating with himself about in regards to these characters. I'm going based on if I set foot into that world, you know, as it is written, is this character evil or not? Is this character good or not? What are their traits? If I was to meet this person, would I? you know, be comfortable being around this particular character, so on, so on, so on. And I base that strictly off of the text. Hmm. And so when, when I see, just as an example, when I see people say, you know, well, Stauron is a morally gray character, this, that, and the other. And it's like, okay, well, let's look at things that he did. He uh, fed captives to Shelob. He tormented <laughs> Gor- Gorlim and told him his wife was alive and that they were going to yeah. be re- reunited. And then he had him tough. cruelly cruelly killed after revealing haha i, I kind of lied um i don't think we need to talk about what he did in numenor that's self-explanatory i mean you yeah, know very yeah, yeah for sure you know like it, there's all these things you know what he did to um the group that was with finrod and baron so on so on it's like you know that's the kind of thing that's the way i approach the lore is a very matter of fact i'm in, because tolkien's all about escapism you're escaping into that world and if you're going to do that, you have to look at the characters as they are in that world, not as the author might have, I don't want to say intended, but things that, like I said, he was debating with. Because he was debating with a lot of stuff. He was debating with, yeah. you know, whether he wanted orcs to be evil, this, that, and the other. And But ultimately, this is what the text lays out. This is what we have to follow if we're going to be talking about this kind of stuff. So. Sorry, I know that was a long-winded rant, but like you know, it's 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 important to me to just kind of explain you know my thought process in terms of evaluating and you know talking about the lore. So, um, yeah, no, that that's great. I I know Sam and I sometimes get lost in in the minutia of what did Tolkien intend, and mm-hmm. that's a big you know based on his life experiences and all that. Sam and I oh, yeah. really do um, f- take that angle a lot of times, but it, it is interesting to hear your perspective of okay i'm getting placed in middle earth yeah how am i going to experience the world and i think i mean that's actually a little reflection that i should start doing a little bit as well because that's a fantastic way of um kind of figuring out each of these characters and i'm i'm interested to see how you bring that towards uh our discussion here in a minute with feanor because i'm sure from that perspective you've got some pretty interesting insights i i I do i do have quite a few actually (laughs) Yeah, I'll be interested to see how you use that logic in that formula that you just said for Sauron and, and make a case for Feanor. But before we get into that, let's jump into some riddles of uh, in the dark, not of the dark, riddles in the dark. So this is the part of the podcast where Seth and I always try to stump one another with a phrase of or, or a, a collection of dialogue from our trilogy book. If you've got one of those, uh, Mr. Noldor, I don't know if you do. You can find something online, too, if, if you want. That's totally fine. Oh. I got all the books here. Give me just a second. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. <laughs> Dumb question. I don't even know why I asked it. Uh, but yeah, so I got my Chinese copy of the Silmarillion here. Let's do this. Oh, that'll do. <laughs> you can Goodness. read it. <laughs> <I'm>, no, <laughs> I got it because it was I, it, like it was. It's a gorgeous book. I'll I'll share a picture with you guys later. Please. Yeah. I, I got Silmarillion, Lord of the Rings, all that sort of stuff here. So cool. Very good. Well, uh, how about let's do it this way. Let's. Uh, so you kind of get the idea of what we do. I will find some dialogue for Seth. Seth, you can find some dialogue for uh, 
for Feanor here, and uh, Feanor can find some dialogue for me. That way we can kind of, everyone gets hit here. But I'll go ahead and, and start off. And and if you don't know already, Seth is always 100% pretty much on this. I'd say like 80% on this, where I'm at like 30% probably. So it's definitely it. not easy. There's some there's some challenges to it for sure. It, all, it, it is just a random spot too. You're not like trying to find a hard one. Maybe you, you luck out. Most of the time I'm like, really? I have to say this? Okay, fine. Because <laughs> it's <laughs> fairly easy to set. But, you know, he, he, he knows his books to, uh, to his point. So I'll go ahead and start. Let me, uh, let me flip through here, find something. So again, we try to find some dialogue that's one to three sentences, give or take, uh, without saying the name of the character that's speaking. And then you have to try to get, guess the name of the character and then the context of... Uh, the conversation. Oh, I know exactly what I'm going to grab in that case. Let's see. Oh, <laughs> oh see you there. I love there you it. <laughs> All right. Cool. All right, Sam, what do you have? Okay. In the North, after the war and the slaughter of the Gladden Fields, the men of Westernese were diminished and their cities of Anuminas, uh, 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 wow, Anuminas, beside Anuminas. Lake Evendim, Anuminas, thank you, fell into ruin, and the heirs of Valindil removed and dwelt at Fornost in the high north. Yeah, that's Elrond at the Council of Elrond giving the backstory, isn't it? That is very, 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 very correct. <laughs> mm. I like it. That's a good one. That's actually my favorite chapter in yeah. all the Legendarium is the Council of Elrond. It's just lore dump after lore dump after lore dump. Yeah, that was pretty. That was. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have read as much as I did, but you probably would have got it anyway. I opened up to one that I'd actually had already done, and I was like, oh, I can't do this one. So I flipped like two pages, and eh, it's okay. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, uh, so, uh, Hi King, are you ready sure. here, my friend? I, I sure hope so. I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little rusty, if I'm being honest, on the Lord of the Rings, because I've been doing a um, Silmarillion book club reading. So I've been very okay. buried oh, very cool. in the and so it's uh, I, i'm yeah, down I'll to switch it up do you want me to do you want no, me to no, grab no, this really no go ahead go ahead okay go ahead. all right all right uh this one's actually rather obscure so i'd be impressed if you're able to get it okay uh so i might give you a little bit extra uh so here we go it says yes sir i'm afraid so sir said blank mistaking me he got at them in spite of all that i could do and they took up with him oh man okay um Oh, Pretty challenging one. It's. Oh, I want to say it's one of the hobbits. Do you want another sentence? Yeah, give me another sentence. Sure, sure. Just following that, it's they behaved very queer all the time that they were here. Willful, you might say. Oh. <laughs> oh, why That's am a pretty I pretty obscure one? Oh man, you're putting me on the spot. I am. I'm drawing a blank. If I'm being honest with you. <laughs> I got all right, let me give you the very... all right so sam well, hold your guess yeah. let's see i'm yeah, gonna give yeah. him one more uh okay, and this okay. this one will probably give it away here okay um ass fool thrice worthy and beloved barlaman oh the, they're in brie i i yeah. can't yeah yep i know i know which one it is now um oh man no, I'm not gonna look. I just I need to remember what the chapter's called. <laughs> I, I know exactly the scene now. Yeah. They're talking to Barlam and Butterbur. Yep. Wow. So the, kind of. It's not the hobbits that are talking to him. What was it, Gandalf? Yeah. 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 
so oddly enough, Sam and I, we both randomly open our books. This is actually straight from the Council of Elrond as well. Uh, when mm-hmm. Gandalf is explaining to the hobbits and the rest of the council, well, I guess Frodo and Sam, uh, why he was late. Oh, shoot. That's right. That's, that's a hard one, though. I'll be I, honest. That's a very hard one. I'm a little ashamed of myself. I didn't think of it, though. <laughs> that's all right. You <laughs> win right. some, you lose some. Right. All right. So it's my go. Yeah, yeah. yeah you Sam's with... gonna Sam's gonna give it a go. Give it a go here. Okay. Okay. Um. All right. So, and it's just like the first like two or three lines you say. Yeah. Yeah. Give or take. Whatever. Like feels like whatever sounds good. Like. Okay. Not too much. Not too little. Gotcha. Not first will I die here. He cried, and he seized blank with a with the strength of his great anguish and wrath. He lifted lifted him on high yeah, and shook him is... as if he were a dog. Oh wait, never mind. I had I, I thought I, I at first I was thinking this was Sam in the the um, Shelob's lair, and I'll like, g- when he's I'll, but I'll give you a little bit more. Blank of the thrall folk, did you say, you son of dastards, thief, slave of slaves? Oh, we're not in the. We're, we're not in the sounds... Lord of the Rings here. This is Children of Hurin. This is when Hurin is. Uh... Good, good. Uh, All right. <laughs> yeah. This is this is when he went back to his after he was convinced by um Glaurung to go back home because his wife yep. and or his his mom and sister were supposedly you know, still there. Supposedly, yeah. And then he my, he chucks a guy going. across the table, breaks his neck, right? Breaks his neck. Yeah, it's it's my favorite exchange of dialogue in the entire legendarium is when Turin just absolutely loses his marbles in <laughs> the Easterling. <laughs> It's so great. That's awesome. I well, love well it. Very done, good. Sam. Well done. That's, well done. That, that was a little bit of a curveball, and you you yeah. nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I was like legendary. Okay, we'll throw Children of Her and Adam. Why not? That was good. That's good. We yeah. we just did a read through not too long ago of that, so it's still fairly fresh. And like right. we went chapter by chapter and and did a whole deep dive on it. So had a lot of dialogue around that. But yeah, that was good. Thank you. Very good. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, wonderful. Riddles in the Dark has been concluded. And so normally this is the part of the podcast where, you know, we would maybe babble like Butterbur a little bit, kind of already did that. Uh, but also this is where we jump into the meat and potatoes of the podcast, which today is a very interesting and uh, perhaps maybe a little uh, controversial. I don't know, maybe I don't Controversial. Know. Sure. That's a good word for it's not, it. It's not uh, controversial at all. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> but because we are blessed with the presence of the High King of Noldor, Feanor himself, he is going to make a case for himself. Because yeah. you know, Seth and I, we've we've both had a lot of conversation around this character and just some of the podcasts we've done in the past when we did our Silmarillion podcast or Silmarils podcast, we did kind of an overview of the Silmarils and talked a lot about Feanor, obviously the creator of those jewels, and kind of talked about how he's he's really just a kind of a jerk, um, wow, very selfish, wow. very prideful. Um, <laughs> but we are very excited to be maybe enlightened, perhaps yes. by a. Uh, by your your take here so i don't know where we want to start maybe you just want to give us your side and we'll contradict or or, or interject or whatever uh, i don't know okay um so i actually i like to start um instead of at the beginning i like to start kind of at the end so Ooh. um of the voyage of arendil and the war of wrath the okay. entire reason why the valar um refused to go after melkor morgoth after the Silmarils were stole, stolen, the death of Finway was because of previous battles that they had with him, where the 
the lands were just rent asunder and there was just complete and total destruction. That was the the overall reason why the Valar refused to intervene. The only problem with that excuse for them is the fact of when they finally did come over during the War of Wrath, there wasn't the Valar never set foot in Beleriand. It was the Vanyar, mm-hmm. it was in the Maiar, and the remnants of the Noldor. So there really wasn't an excuse for them not to send that force already, but they refused to when Feanor decided to venture forth and try and get the jewels back and bring Morgoth to justice, more or less. Um, the I can't really excuse the burning of the ships. That's one where I'm like, okay, that was probably bad. You shouldn't have done it. It wasn't even bad on a moral level. It was just stupid to do that because you could have <laughs> used the help. Um, but the, the big one everyone points to is the kinslaying. And... I like to remind everybody that the Noldor were not the ones who started the violence at the Kinslaying. That was the Tellery. Yes, the Noldor were trying to take the boats, steal them, <clears throat> uh, you know, but uh, it was actually the Tellery who were throwing the Noldor overboard, which caused the Noldor to draw their swords and thus kicked off the first Kinslaying. Okay. So, so if... All right, well, let's let's talk about uh, the kinslaying a little bit then. Yes, yes. Um, we built their harbors. They owed us one, and they didn't pay it back, and so we decided <laughs> to take their boats. And um, yeah, that's that's the long and short of it. Um, <laughs> so the way, and I and I can kind of see that perspective. Um, yeah. But the when they kind of have that dialogue and they argue back and forth, mm-hmm. um, and I always forget the guy's name uh, at Alcalade. Ole, okay. Ole, yeah. Uh, yeah, he basically says, like, the ships know, like, you didn't build the ships. Yeah, you built the harbors and you helped us get settled here and you, you know, basically convinced us to follow you to Valinor, as the Noldor did. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he, the the Teleri basically say, but the ships, we didn't learn how to do that from you. You didn't help us. This is This is our contribution. And not only that, but he compares them to uh, Feanor's Silmarils. He basically says, like, these are the works of our hands, just like the Silmarils are to you. Yes. And so how how do you justify basically Feanor and the rest of the Noldor saying, we're taking these, and if you don't like it, shove off, we're going to make it happen? Well, here's my question. What harm was going to come to the boats by the Teleri? Because at this point, the Doom of Mandos hadn't come into effect. And so, and, um... Ose had the wrath of the seas had not been riled up against the Noldor, which caused a number of those ships to get destroyed in the first place. So what harm would have come to the Swan ships had the Teleri just said, okay, yeah, we'll sail you over there. And they just sailed the Noldor over there without any, I don't think there, there isn't a negative repercussion for the Teleri aiding the Noldor. Matter of fact, I would say, I would argue that the two of them should be on the same side, considering what Morgoth did didn't just affect, the Noldor. It affected everybody. The, the darkening of Valinor affected literally everybody from the Valar down. Um, sure. So I don't really see the the hesitance or the reason behind the hesitance to not aid the Noldor in their time of need. And especially considering, you have to think about Feanor is very distrusting of the Valar at this point. Yes. He sees the Valar as brethren of the brethren of Melkor. And he is under the, uh, he assumes, and just like his half-brother Fingolfin assumed, that the Teleri were told to hinder the Noldor. 
And that's true. Uh, yeah. But I do remember, and I don't know the exact wording, but there's quite a bit of dialogue between um, Feanor and them. And they're basically saying like, we still trust the Valar. Like we, we came over here following you. We still trust them and we don't want to, you know, ruin that trust by aiding and embedding you breaking their will. Well, it wasn't breaking their will though, because the, the Valar did say you're free to come and go as you please. True. You know, um, and the thing, the thing of it is it, it's one of those, it's one of those, I like to bring up the War of Wrath first because you like to look at things back in hindsight. Sure. If you have, if you have the Noldor, the Vanyar, and the Teleri pretty much at their max capabilities at that point, march over under the, you don't even need the Valar there, you just have them march, you have them go over to Beleriand with the blessings of the Valar, and they, they would have defeated Morgoth. I would think. Uh, I, I think it's still that. a pretty tall task. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, it, look, I base that solely on the fact of look at the deeds that they accomplished under the Doom of Mandos. You know, you, Fingolfin versus Morgoth is the greatest duel in the history of fantasy. You know, absolutely. Like, yeah. And and you have that. You have um, Finrod versus Sauron. Like the, these, these, the the Noldor and Beleriand were very, very powerful. And if you have them at their max, I I don't know. I just don't see, especially considering. Morgoth at that time he had Balrogs. He didn't have any dragons. All he had was really orcs and Balrogs. That's it. So, you know, just Balrogs. My well, the my big my big thing with the Feanor did nothing wrong. Obviously, Feanor did some stuff wrong. Yeah. I just think that he's a bit unfairly maligned as this evil character when there's a lot more at play when it came to his decision-making. Now, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I think there's, again, you look at evil, like you just kind of described at the beginning of our podcast, like that aligns with Sauron, that aligns with Melkor, those guys. And like their, their thought and all their will is bent on control, power, and um, oppression, really, is mm-hmm. kind of how they look at what they want for themselves. Whereas Feanor is not that necessarily. He's just very hot-headed, very arrogant. He's selfish in the ways that he, he just wants these he wants these jewels back and if it you know if he can get rid of the darkness at the same time great but i don't think he really he's kind of like that in between i don't know it, it, it kind of that neutral but his actions similar to Turin, i guess in in some ways like Turin just acted out of a lot of arrogance negligence and there's a lot of, of that ends inside. justify the means it was feanor yeah. the way i see feanor is the ends justify the means and to him returning the Silmarils to him and his sons was the end all be all no matter what and whatever gets in the way kind of like you know with the the oath that they swore yeah um anything that got in the way they were just gonna gonna pummel and so like sam saying with Turin and stuff you have a soft spot for him but at the same time it just his actions i i personally i don't think i can justify them mm-hmm well, the thing is, is you know, I was I was just about to bring this up. Um, now I'm I'm looking for the part here. I'm gonna have to quote it from memory. Um, when Finway dies and Feanor finds out the news, this is where I said this is one of the reasons why I think Feanor is very unfairly maligned. It, a lot of people like to paint it as it was just his greed for power and his lust for the Silmarils that led him to 
all of these, all, all the actions that he did, like the kinslaying, the burning of the ships at Lasgar, so on and so on. His biggest, his the largest contributor to his grief was the the death of his father. Yeah. It says something the effect of who among, whom among the Noldor has loved their fathers more. So, something along those lines. I believe it's in the Darkening of Valinor. I have it right here. I just didn't want to waste too much time like digging through. Sure. Um, but, um, you know, and so it, he's under, it's, it's not like Sauron where he commits to very, very cruel actions very casually for the pleasure of it. Whereas Feanor is being driven strictly by grief and emotion, which, you know, causes him to really look at people almost in a very, very twisted way. He sees Fingolfin mm. as a threat. He sees the Teleri as an obstacle. He's, you know, in terms of like, you know, getting his vengeance. Um, and so <clears throat> where I do think he did some bad things wrong, like I said, I just I find him to be very, very unfairly maligned. Um, the, I could see that the, what was I going to say? Um, uh, sorry, real quick, going back to the, to the King's thing. I mean, you mentioned uh-huh. like what would go wrong about having the boats, like, yeah, like just lending the boats, boats off. Yeah. And it, it wasn't so much that as the Teleri were, they were grieved by the, it says they were grieved indeed at the going of their kinsfolk and long friends but rather dissuade them than aid them. No ship would they lend, nor helping their building. And then later down, Ole answers Feanor after Feanor's like, what the heck, man? Give me the boats. Yeah. He's getting all mad at yeah. him. Ole responds, we renounce no friendship, but it may be the part of a friend to rebu- rebuke a friend's folly. Mm, yes. And I think that's his way of just, like, I don't think there was any, like, malice intent there. They're just saying, like, this isn't a really good idea. Have you thought about this? Like, let's talk about this. We're not hasty folk, you know? Like, elves really... Right. I mean, I guess first age elves are a bit more than third age elves, obviously, but True. You know, he's, he's acting very hasty and he's not willing to listen to any counsel. True. But I also, again, I think we're looking at it in hindsight too, because what, what ended up happening in the end, they sent a host of elves across the sea and that ended up defeating Melkor. So all they did would, all they did in, I guess, prohibiting, that's not the right word, but, um, cautioning um cautioning Feanor to wait and everything that happened ultimately just delayed the inevitable and considering i believe yeah mandos manway they have to an extent a degree of foresight i you would think that you know they would have just said you know let's let's just go over there and make mincemeat of melkor real quick and bring him back for justice like it just it just Considering the actions that they committed to at the end of the first age, it doesn't make any sense to why they wouldn't back give give Feanor a hundred percent backing. I think you look at Feanor though in this mindset that he's at, and they you, like. Yeah. I don't think his his purpose was to go and bring Melkor back to justice. I think he just wanted to get the Silmarils. Whether he, you know, whatever happened to Melkor, he didn't really care. Like it, I think at this point, like he was driven by like he just wanted revenge on Melkor for the death of his father and for the stealing yeah. of his Silmarils. And if he gets his Silmarils back, well, then maybe there's a part of him that can be okay with what has happened and he can kind of move on with his life. That's yeah, obviously why we have like the oath of, of, of Feanor as well. That's but I don't think Feanor, he was really cared about that's justice. Where, that's where Feanor went wrong was the oath of Feanor, swearing an oath to yeah. Eru Iluvatar, an unbreakable oath where the everlasting darkness would take them if they didn't fulfill it. And that binding was, all his sons yeah, to it as yeah, well. Yeah, binding all his sons to it. That yeah. was stupid. <laughs> okay, yeah. That was extremely dumb. He shouldn't have done that. But, um, but you know, and here's the, the other thing too, is 
the Valar, the Teleri, everybody in Valinor knew exactly who Feanor was from a temperamental perspective. I mean, this is the yeah. same guy who drew a sword on his younger brother. I mean, like, you know, just in a power struggle, you know, you know, and he's he's the only being who ever he was it the quote he slammed the, his doors in the face and the mightiest of all of Arda. Like the, yep. everybody in Valinor knew his temperament. So it doesn't. Yeah, make his any name sense. even means spirit of fire, and his mom spirit of fire. His yeah. mom died <laughs> giving birth to him. Yeah, and basically exactly. said like, "I won't have any more kids because yeah. what would have nourished many children all went into Feanor." Into this one, yeah. Which I heard a hilarious, really dumb fan theory about that, but we'll talk about that later. That's it's, it's <laughs> oh. really stupid. Um, it, it, uh, long story short, um, oh the um that uh Feanor was actually uh what it's not the is it the everlasting flame i'm trying to remember Eruluvatar. Um, the imperishable flame, flame. Imperishable flame. Yeah. that he's the Feanor was the physical manifestation of that and i'm like no <laughs> no that's not how that works <laughs> i don't think so um, um but anyway um no it's um what was i going to say um uh, So there's there's a couple of things in here that I I actually went through um, the histories of Middle Earth a little bit and the yeah. I I can't pronounce the word it's like the Shilabat of Feanor or whatever it's called the, um, the Shilabath or something Shilabath like that. maybe mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, and so I don't know how much of this is considered canon or made it into the Silmarillion necessarily I don't really remember yeah um, but the one action and I I took some notes and we can maybe go over some of these um, yeah. But a couple of things he so his wife Narendel, um, they became estranged, and she yes. when when he decided to leave, and she basically came and begged him to stay, and then she tried to talk his youngest son mm-hmm. into staying as well, and he almost stayed but decided not to. Um, and then she basically told Fanor like, if you do this, not all your sons will set foot in Beleriand, mm-hmm. and kind of moving forward into the burning of the ships. And this is where I, I, you might know better than I do if this is actually in the Silmarillion or if it's just in, in the histories of middle earth, but I, I already know what you're, I know already know what you're talking about. It's he, his, young, he, his youngest, son he burned him. Yeah. Yeah. That is not in the Silmarillion. Um, okay. the, that was something that J.R.R. J.R. Tolkien was playing around with. And I think Christopher Tolkien ultimately came to the decision that he didn't do that. Okay. Um, both his youngest uh, in the Silmarillion, both of the youngest sons of Feanor um, were killed in the second kinslaying. I want no, 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 no. It wasn't the second. It was the third kinslaying. Um, because they were the last four, as the two oldest and the two youngest. I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. Um, and so yeah, I believe that's what Christopher ended up going with was that um, his youngest wasn't on. Uh, I believe it was was it. Amrod or Amras? I, I think say it was, it was Amras, Amras. I believe. Yeah, it was Amras. Yeah, um, that Amras wasn't on the boat when they set fire to him. Okay. Because um, I, I remember that because um, Feanor was aggrieved mm-hmm. in that in, in that um, that uh, edition of the tale. I guess would be the best way to put it. Um, right. After after he found out that he he inadvertently killed his own kid. Um, but no, that's not that's not in the Silmarillion. I don't believe that's. I think it's it, that one is kind of like the origin of Gilgalad, where they <laughs> yeah. have they have him either being the son of a Rodreth or they have him being the son of Fingon. You know, it's it's kind of you know fan choice on that one, whatever you want to sure. believe. Um, 
So but, I, I got um, a question. Yeah, what's up? And I mean, this is like just whatever you kind of make of it. The Oath yeah. of Feanor is mm-hmm. something again, like that's what you said. Yeah, I agree. That was wrong. That was stupid. That was messed that was up. Stupid. Yeah. Do you, do you genuinely think like was this just Feanor's character like being like we're gonna? I don't care if we die doing this. Like this is the plan. This is what we're gonna put our lives to. Or do you think he legitimately thought there was a possibility of him getting him back? I think the first one because it um mm. when the emissary of um Manway comes to speak with him. He said, he says, you know, at least we're not going to be sitting here idly by doing nothing. You know, we're at least going to do something, even if, you know, it ends up being a complete failure. You know, at least we're not going to be like the value. So I don't think I think Feanor knew deep down, like he probably was outmatched in this regard, but he he just didn't care. Like, you know, know, one of those deals where it's like, you know, like like you were said, you know, like we're going to fight and we're going to die, you know, and. He says it when the Doom of Mandos is proclaimed, you know, they're going to be singing songs about us, you know, you know, mm. and we're not going to be, we're not going to be labeled as um, cowards, essentially. So, yeah, I, yeah. De- I definitely go with the first one. He, pr- he probably, he probably knew deep down that he was going to lose, but he just didn't care. Like, I think that's enough. accurate. I, yeah, yeah. I think that's accurate. Uh, one of the things I wanted to kind of pick your brain about is, mm um galadriel in valinor so she it's speculated and i i don't know how again how canonical it is but i'm pretty sure it's considered canon where feanor made the silmarils because of seeing galadriel's hair and the beauty of it and he wanted to recreate those in any way you know create the silmarils based on her hair Mm -hmm. um but she refused to give him even just a single tress of, of her hair. However, come third age and the fellowship is entering Lothlorien, Gimli, Gimli yeah. asks for one tress and gets three. Gets three. Um, so what do you think is the connection there? Did she sense something in him? Why, why, did she, why was she so opposed to him? Well, Galadriel by her nature, and this is one of the things that the Rings of Power fan base gets wrong on a consistent basis. <laughs> I was wondering she how long was... it would take. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the trigger word for me. Um, yeah. No, um, she, uh, she was incredibly wise and discerning, particularly of people's character. And with Feanor, she was not, she did not like in any way the hot-headed temperament of Feanor at all. And she knew what, you know, part of his craftsmanship was that he, it was almost, it's kind of like what, what did in Celebrimboral to me was like a yearn for knowledge. And Feanor and his sons would often go like to the edges of Valinor and be, you know, just searching for different things and this and that. And Gal- Galadriel did not like that. She just, she had a bad feeling about Feanor from the get-go. Um, and then obviously with the kinslaying and everything that transpired after that, um, she would probably want to do something like, you know, giving the three strands of hair to Gimli. That would be almost like... um. Not necessarily in spite, because Galadriel wasn't a spiteful character, but definitely, you know, an action of rewarding this good and pure-hearted character with the thing that was requested by the very morally complex, maybe you can say, I don't... I, I really hesitate to call Feanor evil, because I don't believe he's an evil character, but definitely a very troubled character. Yes. Know? Um, and I, so 
I think too, you look at like Feanor wanted to use Galadriel's hair for the Silmarils. He wanted to put the hair in the Silmarils, right? And was as opposed to like Gimli, he's just like, dude, I have nothing to ask for other than, well, okay, your hair is gorgeous. Like of gorgeous, all the yeah. gems in yeah. the world that I've seen, you know, I, you know, I know Mithril, I know gold, I know all these things. And, and this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen just to have it and see that, like, look at it yeah. whenever I want to, like he yeah. didn't have any, he wasn't going to use it for anything. He he said it was going to be an, it. it was going to be an heirloom of his house if I recall correctly was that he was going yeah. to set, yeah. the, set the hairs and gems and make them an heirloom of his house it's actually a really really very like beautifully written scene mm. the line, lines of dialogue for Gimli there um yeah. well and you know well with the thing with Feanor he wanted to it was because he's Feanor was quoted as saying um these are the greatest works in my hand I will never make their like again but he wanted to. He wanted to kind mm. of capture that again, which is why he wanted the three strands of hair from Galadriel, because Galadriel's okay. hair sure. captured, the, captured the light of the two trees. Um, and that's why he wanted it, and Galadriel refused. And, and you know, obviously, killing her kin, kinsfolk didn't help at all. Um, right. you know, <laughs> you know, right. Because it, it stated very clearly she fought on the side of the Teleri against the sons of Feanor. Um, right, but then she followed him anyways. <laughs> then she followed him anyway. Well, a bit out of revenge, though. She she followed Fingolfin. Um, sure, because because the it, well the thing that I think kind of escapes that entire narrative is uh, Fingolfin and Galadriel both had similar motives for going and crossing the Helcaraxe into Beleriand. They both wanted to get their hands on Fan or bad because True. you know obviously the kin slaying for Galadriel and then Fingolfin being you know, abandoned, you know, he, he was not too, uh, too fond of Feanor for the burning of the ships, you know, knowing that he had been betrayed. Um, but no, Galadriel, I mean, uh, we can go on a whole thing with her. Um, but, but, to I guess answer your question. Um, I really think it was just a case of Galadriel, especially considering her character, de- not development, but her progress into eventually, you know, overcoming the temptation of the ring and everything that happened in the Third Age. Um, um, and everything that happened prior in her life all kind of led to a lot of... Um, um, I, I, the English language is escaping me right now. I can't think of the right word. But um, definitive things taking place at the end prior to her, her leaving for Valinor again. You know, there were certain things that I guess kind of gave her closure would be sure. the best way to put hmm. it. And I, I'm guessing that the the hair to Gimli was probably one of those things as well, you know. F- finding closure with hmm. everything that happened with Feanor and the Silmarils and everything else like that. So that is that's I I never kind of put that together, but yeah, it's kind of wrapping up the tail in a way, you know, like start to finish. Um exactly. Closing the door on that. Um Setups and payoffs, I guess, would be the best way to earn. Yeah. In, in, in a way, in a way. Yeah. So I know we're kind of just bouncing around Feanor's life like crazy, which is fine. Yeah. It's <laughs> I'm, I'm all for it. Um, yeah. But so after after Morgoth and Ungoliant came and sucked the life out of the trees and, and removed the light from Valinor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always get them mixed up. I believe it was Yavanna said that she could potentially recreate the trees if Feanor broke open his Silmarils because they contained some of the light. Yes. Uh, and then, as such, you know, relight Valinor back to the bliss. Melkor's gone, or Morgoth at this point. He's gone, whatever. Yeah. Um, so, 
I, I understand why he didn't because he says like, these are the works of my hand that I can't recreate. And it would basically be like ripping my heart apart to do it. Yeah. What are your thoughts on should he have for the betterment of everybody or does it, do you kind of give him a, a little bit of a pass in there? I give him a little bit of a pass considering the fact of, again, and I can't remember whether or not he had found out by this point that Fenway had died. Um, mm-hmm. But this is going back to his father being killed. His his head definitely wouldn't have been in the right place. And even Aule says, you a- do not be hasty to ask him for this because you ask of something that's greater than you know. You know? Right. Um, like, matter of fact, let me, let me find the exact quote here. But yeah, I... What... Given the fact that the Valar ended up kind of sol- inadvertently solving their problem anyway by creating the Sun and the Moon, I don't think that it would have been particularly necessary for him to break open the Silmarils anyway. Um, sure. That's a very logical way of putting it, but do you yeah. think from Feanor's personality, and maybe he just is incapable of this, but if he would have done an act so selfless for the betterment of everybody else that perhaps it changes the trajectory of his life? Or do you think that uh, it's just impossible for just because he is the spirit of fire, he's, he's not capable of sacrificing of himself for others. I think it would have been impossible because of the distrust that Melkor had wrought. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I really get the feeling that he, he, it says it in, in the Silmarillion, he thought himself in a ring surrounded by enemies when he, when he's yeah. in, in the presence of the Valar, um, you know, he, I think given what Melkor did and the mindset of Feanor, I think that is what would have made it more impossible. I don't think that Feanor necessarily would have been incapable of that kind of selfless action. I, I will say this, I will say this had, Finway survived and just the, the Silmarils were stolen, I think Feanor would have been more inclined okay. to do mm-hmm. it. But I, re- I, re- I, I always lean, lean into the, the, the thing with his dad. I really believe that that's really what kind of tipped the scales. Because um, the Silmarils were one thing, but if Finway had survived, I think he could have like evened out Feanor's mood to where, mm-hmm. you know, like he would have... You know, tried to, um, because he he made pe- he made peace with Fingolfin, um, yeah. in the presence of Finway. You know, after their altercation, so he's not he's not devoid of reason. But when you have back to back events of catastrophic proportions occur, you know, and, and you're of the temperament that he has, it, he I just think you know accumulating all all those circumstances put together i just don't i don't think that he um i don't think it would have been possible for him to do it so i always like to look at you know tolkien's works through the lens of his actual experiences like obviously tolkien yeah. was brilliant he has a lot of experience you know through world war one through being an orphan all these other things and i kind of wonder like he has a couple a few different like really big characters who's fathers pass away either at a young age or, or a little bit later on like with Feanor and I wonder too if maybe he's either subconsciously or consciously like creating different pathways of what he could have done with his life through these characters like you look at Aragorn and you know after Arathorn got stuck in the eye with an arrow like what did Aragorn do he you know he was able to kind of find himself and stand a noble path whereas Feanor after losing his dad it's like 
okay, well, I just don't know what to do now. I have all this anger. I have all this like rot within me, like you mentioned, like, right. and he just kind of blows up on everybody because of that. And I kind of wonder if that's his way of, I mean, not just Eric Horn, there's, you know, like, like Turin lose, loses his dad kind of, he doesn't really yeah. know his dad. And, and so, but just kind of having different pathways for these characters is his way of kind of playing out his own life. Like, well, if, you know, I could have taken this route of just being completely bitter and angry and, you know, then we wouldn't have any of the stories we have, you know, right. I, I don't know. Right. I just like exactly. to look through that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and I think also a, a part of that is um, kind of um, reflecting on himself as a father. Like, you know, um, how has my parentage affected my kid and, or my children? And how, you know, if I was gone, how would they, you know, mm. um, how would they behave? How would they react? Obviously, you you look at Christopher Tolkien. He is he was when he was alive. He was very very protective of his father's works, almost to a yep. psychotic degree. If we're being honest, like he was extremely and and I, I I appreciate him for it because you know prior to his death we didn't get crap like Rings of Power. Um, you know, very true. So he 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 was the the end all be all of gatekeeper. Um, and he also made sure that you know everything yeah. came out i mean the silmarillion yeah. which was tolkien's like love child wasn't yeah. even published while he was alive mm -hmm. and christopher made that happen in the end yeah and and you know i, th I think it's i think it's what you um what was said about you know him growing up without a father and how you know how he handled it and also being a father as well and seeing the effect that he was having on his kids in a and honestly, I, I've read the Father Christmas letters. Obviously, he was a very good father. Yeah, I think. Um, you know, but just you know, using like you said, just using his life experience. You're absolutely right. Um, and also from a third person perspective of, um, or from a first person perspective rather of seeing the effect he was having on his kids. I think I think both culminated into kind of that th that going into his characters, like with Feanor and Finway, and um, um. Also, the the odd one that uh, is a uh, Denethor and Faramir. That yeah. that dynamic. Um, yeah, very true. But um, but yeah, definitely, definitely is his, <clears throat> his um his life experience. And you know, you know, another thing too is um because he was he served in the First World War, so he probably saw a lot of um a lot of sons lose their dads. Yeah, yep. you know that's another aspect of it too. To come to think of it, is um, you know, again from you know from his POV, seeing that happen to God knows how many kids, and seeing yeah, I'm sure, that. especially going back to Oxford to teach after World War One, yeah. that yeah. was a whole generation of you know male students that were coming in that he was teaching that were too young to go to you know the trenches, but they probably all lost their dads. Yeah, during, they all lost their during dads, the war. So he probably saw all manner from being a teacher in that, in that position, you know, um, saw the effect it was having on kids. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which so, I guess from this perspective, I can have a bit more grace for fair Feanor in, in this sense, yeah. you know, I think yeah. again, you, you look at some of the other characters of Tolkien's that chose to yeah. be more wise and a little less hasty and uh, foolhardy yeah. with, with their emotions. But yeah I, yeah, I guess I can see like that being your kind of main argument. I think, uh, overarching it's it's a good good argument yeah the the overarching argument that i've always had is that he is not i i hate 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 when people who 
only read into tiny bits of the book determine that he's an evil character when there's a, a lot more at play. Sure. Um, did he commit to some evil deeds? Absolutely. You know, morally evil deeds, but you have to understand the circumstances behind those deeds <clears throat> and really put them in their proper context. Again, it's not like we, we talked about Sauron earlier, you know, Sauron just fed captives to Shelob for the crack of it, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, it's, Feanor wasn't doing that. He was acting out of emotion and rage, you know, because of all of these things that had happened to him in his own life. And, you know, by extension, it had happened to his kin as well. So I think I think one of the main things that this actually just struck me, I think one of the reasons he seems evil to a lot of people that don't understand the complexities to his character mm -hmm. is when you compare him to the other elves in Middle Earth him and his sons are really the only ones i mean i guess you could get into like maglor or uh, not maglor um the dark elf um, oh ale yeah ale and his mm -hmm. son maglin no mm -hmm. yeah maglin yeah um, maglin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah i think you know aside from those two feanor and his sons are really the only elves that are kind of morally ambiguous in a way in that you compare Feanor to Fingolfin or Finrod or even Gladriel or even some of the second and third age elves. It's like he's, they're all pure and perfect in their own yeah. right, but he's not. So I wonder if that also taints people's perspective of him a little bit. Well, you know, I, I think there, there's another name that we should throw in there and that is, um, Elway Singolo, Thingol of Doriath. Um, I, I've always considered him a very morally great character as well. Mm -hmm. Um, interesting. It, his treatment of Baron was undeserved. He did not need to do that. Um, obviously, he saw the error of the ways and error, error of his ways in which he fostered Turin, but it was on, on, it was ultimately greed, to an extent, mm -hmm. greed that did him in. Yeah, because he wanted to put he wanted to have the Silmaril and the Noglamir for himself, and the and yep. thus started a war between the elves and the dwarves. You know. Um, and and he was unwilling to help the Noldor because of the kinslaying. When yes, you can be mad at the sons of Feanor for that. You can be mad at Feanor for that. But there were plenty of other Noldor who were at because he refused to go to he refused to marshal his forces to go to the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. Um, he permitted Mablung and Belleg Strongbow to go because they insisted that they were going. But he would not commit the full forces of Doriath to aid the Noldor because he was still bitter about the kinslaying. Sure. And holding on to that grudge, for lack of a better term, holding on to that hatred ultimately led to, in my opinion, being one of the causes why the Noldor lost that battle. Um, had Thingol showed up with the forces, the full f f might that he had, you know, like Turgon did, you know, mm -hmm. it could have changed the outcome. But it's like the Doom Mandos said, you know, um, mistrust and um, the slaying of kin and all all manner of you know um, dislike is going to ultimately cause your downfall. Um, but yeah, um, th like you were saying, yeah, Mablung or not Mablung, sorry, um, Maglin, Aeol, the sons of Feanor, Feanor himself. Um, yeah, they they are kind of the odd ones out when you look at the grand, the grander picture of the elves, definitely. Not to derail um, the conversation too much, but Sam and I actually talk a lot about Thingol and Melian, and it's like mm -hmm. Melian is just she's like the wisest person 
in yep. all I mean Gandalf is up there for sure, but and yep. same with Gladriel, but like Melian is every time she speaks in the Silmarillion, it's like, mm-hmm. hey, pay attention to this. Yeah. It's gonna come back and bite you in the butt if you're not careful. <laughs> yeah. That's why that's why Galadriel went directly to her for tutoring mm-hmm. immediately yeah. when she got over, you know. Melian the Maya was arguably the wisest being in all of Arda at that point. Yeah. Um and glad you're so the quick, only one that actually listened to her. So Yeah. <laughs> well, you you say well, yeah, you're you're not wrong. Everybody else she, just uh yeah because bellic should have listened to her there's a malice on the sword you shouldn't take it and he took it ended up getting killed with it um yep. um when baron ends up going through uh nandungor theb and breaks the girdle of melian to get to luthien yeah it's you know yeah she says a lot of wise things that people don't, don't pay much pay yep. much heed to yeah. absolutely Real quick, we've got uh, Feligund07 in our chat here, and he actually said the dwarves did him dirty, uh, but being a little pretentious didn't help either. Of course, the Silmaril itself was the driving factor more so than his character, I think. And I I tend to actually agree with that because of the oath that the Sons of Feanor swore. Um, And even Melian warns Thingol of this when when he first talks to Baron and basically tells Baron, like, yeah, good luck, go get this. Melian mm-hmm. tells Thingol, he's like, you have now just wrapped yourself up in something far greater than you understand. And that is the doom of Mandos mm-hmm. uh, in regard to the Silmarils. So I, I do think he has a point that Thingol's actions later on are maybe more driven towards uh, the Silmaril, you know, kind of prompting those actions as opposed to his character necessarily. Well... Uh, let me let me find there. There's a particular line of dialogue that I need to find here. It is well. That's kind of also the theme too with Tolkien's works. Is it's always the 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 stuff that yeah. kind of is the motivation for greed, for evil, for you know all this enslaying. You know what? Like just go down the list. It's it's the One Ring. It's the Silmarils. It's the Nalgamir. It's it, all these things, these precious items, and I think Tolkien, you know, allegory aside, is really just highlighting the, the greed that is so easily entangles all of us, and how we can well, just so easily look at something so sparkly and bright and be like, "I want that," no matter what happens, I'm going to get it, not realizing what kind of wake it's going to leave in our in our midst. Yeah, well, it says it right here. Um, and in his wrath and pride, he gave no heed to his peril, but spoke to them in scorn, saying, How do ye of uncouth race dare to demand aught of me, Elu Thingle? Like, there's a lot of pride at play there, you know. That is and, true. You know, it, hmm. I, I. Yes, he got bound up in the oath, but I mean. It, I think it's with, like with anything else, you know, the decisions you make ultimately are your own. It's not, you know, the, the Silmaril isn't doing it, you know, it's not having this mind control effect on anybody or anything like that. Unless I'm yeah. misunderstanding what the person is saying. It's, it's pretty much what I gathered was like, ultimately, the, the Silmaril was the root cause of it all, when really it was just, Thingol was that kind of person who just didn't take any crap from anybody, you know, and it ultimately did him in. But the same could be said you know, kind of in rebuttal to that of Feanor himself, right? Like the actions, uh, like the death of his father or the stealing of the Silmarils, like Mm -hmm. ultimately he's still responsible for his own actions. So, I mean, it it goes both ways and it's like, where do you, where do you draw the line on that? 
I would argue, though, well... Because you could also bit... look at the Curse of Turin and be like, well, how much was him and how much was just Morgoth's curse on Turin and that's, his family? That's a very heavily debated topic, too. Yeah, what, we talked a lot about was, that. How much of it was really Morgoth's curse and more just Turin being an idiot? Um, <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I mean, really. Um, you know, because if you change X, Y, and Z in that story, how different things might have been. Um, no, and you know what, Thingol and Feanor, you know, it's funny you bring that up because I hadn't occurred to me just how kind of similar they are. Because in the Silmarillion, a um, when the I believe it was when the sons of Feanor demanded that he he give up the jewel, and he told them to f off. Essentially, he told them right. And the reason why he told them no was because of the sacrifices that Baron and Luthien made to get it. You know, and I think it's a very, it's a kind of the similar mindset of why Feanor left for Beleriand was because, you know, it, that, that kind of connection he had with his family member, you know, and, and wanting to do good by them. Although they, obviously Feanor went to more extremes, obviously, but, um, but right. it's, a sim, it's, a, it's a similar kind of mindset, I guess, is the point that I'm trying to make. Um, so, yeah. Um, no, I, I think, I think that's true. Yeah. Um. I was going to say, I feel like we've maybe beat Feanor <laughs> to a pulp here, uh, not <laughs> unlike Gothmog, but... Ooh. <laughs> wow, wow. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. God, no, I just... All right. I just wanted to... Uh, it wasn't just Gothmog, okay? I, I know, I know. I, know. <laughs> I, just, I had to do it. I had to do it. Um, it's good. It's good. But I'm curious, kind of, kind of a hard transition, just... Yeah, yeah. What are your main gripes with Rings of Power? I want to, you know, take a few minutes because we're, oh, we're already coming up at about an hour on this podcast. So we try to keep them, you know, hour, hour and 15. But I want to, oh, you know, yeah. give a few minutes here to see what your thoughts are on Rings do, of do, Power. Do you, have another, uh, like, do you have another like maybe three, four hours for me to get all this off my chest? <laughs> um, oh, Let's dude. speed run it. Okay, um, the writing <laughs> is atrocious. The directing is atrocious. There isn't a single thing in the entire show that adheres to the canon at all literally you can go we can go scene by scene and there is not a single canonical event that takes place that is shown in the show um hmm. it, it literally there there isn't anything De- debatable it's, it's debatable um, sauron okay. does look at Celebrimbor and say consider it a gift oh crap <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the same Celebrimbor is supposed to be Who's supposed to be the the mo the greatest of El- one of the greatest Elven Smiths in history? And he doesn't know what a freaking alloy is. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> get out of here with that. Well, and that's the thing too. Literally, the I, I've said it a hundred times. The only thing that is accurate to the source material is the name of some characters in some locations. That's it. You can't yeah. say that there's there's zero in terms of events. There's zero in terms of accurate character portrayal. Galadriel is nothing like Galadriel in the books. Celebrimbor is nothing like Celebrimbor in the books. Um, Elrond is nothing like Elrond in the books. Gilglad, so on, so on, and so on, and so on. Um, Arpharazon, during the time prior to the sinking of Numenor, was not a fat-bearded dude. He was a general and a king and very, very powerful. Sam actually, when <laughs> when we were talking about it, Sam was like, yeah, the fat IT guy from the Geek Squad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yes, Arpharazon was totally a neck beard. Like, you know, yeah. no. <laughs> the way it went down. Um, Muriel is this headstrong, powerful, don't take she no crap so many anybody lands. landing. But 
in the books, she was Tar Muriel who was forced to marry her cousin. And like, you know, she was very kind of, that's about the extent of it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like she, she died grasping the cliff side of, um, metal. Was it metal Tarma? I'm pretty sure it was metal Tarma. Yeah. Um, you know, before the sinking, you know, ultimately took her too. like, you know, there, there, I can, if you want to see my example of the poor directing in this show, go look at the, the Mount Doom eruption. in I think it's like episode six. Watch the extras. Hmm. Because you will see the majority of extras are running towards the green screen, which is showing the volcanic eruption going towards <laughs> them. I'm serious. It, go, go and have a, there's another one too, during a prison escape scene in the, the orc tunnel, whatever the hell stupid thing that was where you have people hitting the, the dirt with sticks. You have the extras like just hitting dirt with sticks. They're not actually doing anything in the scene. They're just told like, here, go just make movements pretty much. <laughs> to be fair. You also see that when Theoden and Aragorn ride out of Helm's deep in the two towers, all the people in the back are swinging at nothing on the, on the, uh, the Hornburg or whatever that is, the bridge. Yeah, uh, yeah, and they're you know it's kind of the same thing, but no, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, like okay, that can be excused because it's a very, very like you know you got that's a very chaotic scene in the Hornburg. Yeah, whereas... yeah, there's thousands of urukai that they're running into. So sure, just keep it going yeah. until you hit. Just something. keep the yeah. movement going yeah. exactly. Whereas this is a close-up shot of yeah. your extras yeah. who are supposed to be prisoners who are trying to make an escape like sure uh, sure you know and and don't get me started on the dialogue the dialogue the writing in this show is horrible but cheeks it, oh it's 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 <laughs> i uh, i it's like where do you even begin <laughs> you know like I, I can i can just pick an episode and you can find 20 30 different you know lines of dialogue that just make absolutely no sense um, they tried so desperately to sound like Tolkien that they realized like they ended up just talking themselves in circles and saying a whole lot of nonsense when yeah, trying it, to sound profound. Yeah, they were trying to sound profound. It was an overuse of prosaic language that really didn't have any meaning to it at all. Yeah. Um, and also, um, you know, I don't know who the the dialogue coach was for it. But um, in Tolkien's dialogue, every in even in the Jackson movies, everything's said very matter-of-factly. You know, mm. it's two two people that are speaking to one another. Yes, in the books, you might see some, I guess, antiquated, you know, words. You know, like for instance, um, saying someone is the son of dastards. Okay, you know, that might not translate over into modern media exactly well. But it's still two characters having, you know, just a plain, plain conversation with one another. Whereas in Rings of Power, everything's overly flowery, overly prosaic. Um, you know, it's it just, it, it, like you said, it's meant to be very fanciful. And but Tolkien's dialogue is nothing like that. It's just, it just came across as people who were told, "Okay, we need you guys to write." A fantasy show and they're like okay what does fantasy mean well mm. it means a lot of flowery language you know they didn't really actually take the i i'm still of the opinion nobody opened the books at amazon not a single person did 
Which is uh, wild because they always said, yeah. like, go back to the books, go back to the books, go back to the books. And it's, it's like the biggest it's the biggest sure about lie. That? It's the biggest lie ever told because when they were confronted about and they they talked about this on their podcast, and it's if you want to see the most utter disrespect, check this out. So on their podcast, I forget what episode it was, like episode eight or something. Um, the showrunners were talking about how they rewrote the story of Sauron and Celebrimbor and the Forging of the Rings. And what they said, and I'm paraphrasing slightly, but they essentially said that Tolkien wrote the elves in a stupid manner and that the way that they wrote it in Rings of Power made more sense. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm paraphrasing slightly, but that's just of what they said. And, you know, it's it's like, okay, so you guys just don't care what. What I think the goal was of this television show was we have a name of a very famous intellectual property. We're going to slap the name of that intellectual property on this generic fantasy television show that we know if we called it something else, it would never get up off the ground. We're going to spend we're going to market it strictly on identity politics. We're going to market it on the fact that we spent a gajillion dollars on it and pray to God that the IP sells because there hasn't been anything in the IP since the Hobbit movies. So people are going to be thirsty for something in middle earth well that's my that's why i wonder if they actually were successful in that i mean we're talking about it still i mean i know it's going to be starting up again this year apparently but like were they successful in what their vision for it was like to to get Mm -hmm. the money to get the clicks to get the views i i don't think i i I don't think so number one you have to look at the viewer retention rate so after the first episode Mm -hmm. how many people actually completed the season you had 37 percent domestically 45 percent internationally Hmm. which is terrible if you're spending $450 million on your first season of a TV show. Sure. Sure. Um, the other part of it is what is the vast majority of the conversation around this television show? It's overwhelmingly negative. And the reason why it's overwhelmingly negative is because Amazon didn't bother to do consumer research. The Tolkien fan base is not like your Star Wars fan base or your Marvel yeah. fan base where you have a majority of people. And I mean this with all due respect to anybody who might be listening, who's a fan of this a fan of those properties, you have a majority of people in those properties who are it literally will slop up anything. They will eat up anything where it's like, okay, we have the lightsabers and the flashing lights on screen. Let's watch and shell out dough to watch that stuff because that's the kind of thing we like. Whereas the Tolkien fan base, they're not like that. That it's there's a deep love for the source material and the character development and the writing. The, the, that that last one being the big one is the writing of the books and the quality they're in. And when you see something that takes, ex- yes, Jackson took liberties with with the books, but he did so to fit the medium in which he was trying to make an adaptation. Yeah. Whereas Rings of Power completely threw out the lore because the lore did not fit the kind of political and social messaging that they were trying to push with the IP with the name. Yeah. I, (laughs) I, I still, I go back to the whole, like elves, you know, are supposedly immortal in Tolkien's world. Like they don't die from sickness or uh, they can be killed, but whatever they they go. through But yeah. Yeah. Right. But then rings of power comes around around and it's like, okay, we randomly get cancer that Mithril can cure. And yeah. it's like that's your your one of your main plot points and drivers yeah. of this story is some completely asinine like who even came up with that? It's it's just a dumb well, idea in the first place. Where where they really went off the rails was when they had a MAGA rally in the middle of Numenor 
that was <laughs> that was you gotta like, take your jobs <laughs> oh yeah it was like full mask off moment like we this is our message that we want to push to you we don't yeah. care about the lore we don't care about anything that you guys love and it's like i said they didn't do any consumer research people like myself you guys many 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 other people in the tolkien fan base are going to look at this and be like, this shares zero resemblance with anything in the books. You can look at Jackson's trilogy. Hell, you can look at the Hobbit movies. And there mm -hmm. are aspects like the White Council, for instance, where it's like, okay, this shares some resemblance of the kind of thing that I would imagine, you know, how this took place. You know, um, how these, how the characters behave, the dialogue that they have with each other. Even if it doesn't, doesn't necessarily come from the books, you can see those characters saying X, Y, and Z. Rings of Power, you don't have any of that. You know, it's like I said, I think poor consumer research and greed ultimately led, you know, hey, we were talking about greed being the downfall of a lot of different things, you know, those kind of, you know, Feanor and Thingle and everybody else, you know, that's what did Amazon in. They got greedy with an intellectual property that they thought they could milk the name of and it just didn't work. It, it really is. They, they didn't understand what they were getting into, I think. Yeah. Like you said, mm -hmm. they didn't do any market research. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Jeff Bezos was quoted in saying, like, bring me Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to Lord of the Rings, it's not Game of Thrones. It's not meant to be. No. And they're successful for different reasons. And mm -hmm. Tolkien's stories are, they're timeless in a way that they touch on human emotions, human, like, it's the human experience in a, through a fantasy world. And yeah. he goes off of, you know, the traditional, there's a hero, there's a journey, there's a quest um you know people are honorable and as opposed to game of thrones where it's like there's backstabbing this that like you know people are dying left and right that's not tolkien and when jeff yeah. bezos says bring me game of thrones and then they try to do some weird blend between modern modernity and tolkien tolkien didn't yeah. even like the modern age that he was living in and he was no, right he you know for something way in the past i mean they tried to modernize something that he he didn't want to be modernized in the first place Exactly. And and the thing of it is, too, is that. Um, do you guys know about what uh, Bezos son told him when he found out about. Uh, yeah. Um, he said, don't F this up. Oh, it kind of as, really? a, as, as a warning to him because it could because his son is a big, big fan of the books and he the Tolkien fan base. I, I I've kind of I've always noticed it, but when it comes to defending the uh, the honor of the books, can get a bit rabid, um, myself included. Yes, and, and absolutely, I'm proud of it. And um, <laughs> and uh, you know, he knew that, and his probably why he gave him the warning. You know, and apparently, when Rings of Power concluded, I this is just hearsay, so don't take this as you know the spoken word. But from what I have gathered um bezos was incredibly angry at the lack of success the show had um and I, i'm i'm honestly curious honest to god since we're talking about it and i was tempted to put out a tweet about it but since we're live and talking about it i'm wondering if season two is even going to come out and mm, yeah. the reason why i say that is because i'm thinking back to um so in an, for another property there um there was the movie for batgirl that was supposed to come out yeah mm. yeah because it got filmed. It was completed. The post-production was completed. Everything was ready to go. But there was no advertising for it, which was very odd. And people were starting to really ask questions like, hmm, where's all the footage for this show? And then abruptly, Warner Brothers just said, yeah, we're not coming out with it. 
And the reason why, if I recall correctly, was because the heads of the studios saw the finished product and said, ain't no way in hell we're releasing this. So right. we're just going to scrap it. And I'm wondering, given the fact of, let's see here, um, during the filming of season two, they managed to um, kill a horse, burn down part of their set. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. They, they ran a horse oh, to death. Man. Um, I did hear about um, that. Yeah. And then you How'd have they the get the horses room? wherever they were filming. I mean, the boats clearly weren't large enough to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't remind me. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, shit. There's like oh. four boats and then <laughs> there's like four or five boats and they have like 300 horses. Get out of here with that crap. <laughs> no. Um, but considering all the tor- turmoil, the fact that it was really, really rejected, you know, re- you know, damn near unit universally rejected by the fan base unanimously rejected by the fan base i should say you know at you know the studio heads are probably looking at it and they're probably looking at listen we have a lot more successful shows that we can market that we are marketing um i was just i shared a bit of an article that i was reading the other day that came out um it was like right before the new year where they were talking about um how rings of power was not included in the marketing for upcoming uh amazon releases for 2024 they did like their big they did their big commercial expose of various different shows that they were going to be releasing newer seasons of or new uh, premieres things like that rings of power wasn't a part of any of that Hmm. and so everybody's speculating and also they've been laying off a ton of people and i like to keep in mind they dropped 450 million on one season of television 250 million for the rights to get which they got the rights to the appendix which i think they the uh tolkien uh estate was laughing all the way to the bank for that one yeah and yeah and then the 200 million that they took to produce it which they're not allowed to film in new zealand anymore because of that so that's another thing that um took place i don't know if you guys knew about that um no i have no idea oh yeah, they uh, New Zealand is not going to allow them to film in allow Amazon to film Rings of Power there anymore. They had to move it to the UK because um, the studio left like metric tons of garbage and waste mm. behind. I, I think I did hear that at one yeah. point. Jeez. Yeah, and um, then and then and then couple that with the fact that they released the first season on the anniversary of J.R.R. Tolkien's death. Yep, they didn't start production of the first season until after Christopher Tolkien died. Yep. yep. You know that this show, in every they knew sense, what they were doing. Well, they knew what they were doing, but it it was also they were setting themselves up for disaster. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, unwittingly doing it because, like, yeah. you know, just greed and thinking they could milk an IP. Simple yeah. as that. Uh, a couple of things here. Yeah, uh, we've got Felagund in the chat who makes a great point. He said, mm-hmm. uh, ultimately, it fails because something like the Secret Fire uh, is antithetical to their ideology, which I think is a hundred percent accurate that is, uh, that is not something that the dei overlords ever want to see succeed um no. so that's a good point and then yep. nerdo peril uh oh, <laughs> says that you love rings of power uh but then he asks do you guys <laughs> think anyone will cross that line and actually attempt to make a sequel to lord of the rings based on the to- the concepts tolkien came up with um and i don't know I if think- you mean do you mean like the 14 page summary that he that he scrapped afterwards or well there's also well there's that there's also the Dagor Daggerath which I think is ultimately sure. been 
rendered non-canon. And also, I don't think they'd even be able to get the rights to that anyway, because the Silmarillion, you'd need that. You'd need Book of Lost Tales Part 1 and 2. You'd need a whole assortment of different things to, to get your hands on before you did that story. Um, cer- certainly, you'd need the Children of Urn, because at the end, Turin Turinbar kills Morgoth. Um, cause, so you need all that backstory. Um, I think a lot of people, a lot of studios, um, especially Warner Brothers, because obviously you have War of the Rohirrim coming out. I think that's going to be kind of like their their litmus test, yeah, to see where they go. Because you have a lot of a lot of different streaming outlets that are you know airing, kind of testing the waters with fantasy TV, and you have Warner Brothers who probably wants to test that with the Lord of the Rings properties, um, the Tolkien properties that they have the rights to. But after seeing Rings of Power and the backlash that occurred there, they're probably very hesitant. What they're probably going to do, they're going to keep it at a lower budget. Probably keep them... Honestly, I think, depending on how War of the Rohirrim does, I think they're going to keep it pr- um, predominantly animated, because it's just lower costing. Sure. Um, um, and it's, it's, it's honestly the safer bet, you know? a lot, Especially, anime's been on the rise with the decline of comic books, and with um, a lot of shows kind of just... Everybody's sick of Star Wars and Marvel and the same, just same retreaded stuff over and over and over again. Anime's on the rise, and I think you're going to see a lot more of that coming out of Warner Brothers for this, for the the Middle Earth IP, for lack of a better term. Um, but like I said, I think I think War of the Rohirrim is going to be, depending on how that does, is going to be kind of um, how Warner Brothers is going to take things going forward. Um, cause it's them and Amazon and middle earth enterprises with like the, the game rights and all that. So, right. um, I, and also after, after Gollum, did you guys ever play the Gollum game? <laughs> that was bad. That was bad. <laughs> I, I saw, I saw a couple of people playing. It I was like, I'm not spending money on this. Yeah. It, well, it was like back to back, just like you had rings of power and Gollum. This just kick the, the IP in the teeth. And it was just like, you know, you have, I guarantee you, you have studio exec, execs that are looking at it going like, let's be careful. You know, we don't want to repeat the same mistake that these guys did, you know? Yeah. So. No, I think that's spot on. Um, I will say we're kind of at our, our cutoff time here. So cool. I'll let Sam take us out. But Fanor, honestly, I still don't know your actual name, <laughs> which is awesome. Um but thank you for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. We'll have to do it again at some point down the road, but it's clear Absolutely. that you're knowledgeable and you love Tolkien and yeah, except um, for when I can't get a stupid Barlman Butterbur and Gandalf. Oh, I'm ashamed <laughs> of myself. Oh, we'll let you redeem yourself at some point down the road here. Yeah, no, you know what? You know what I'm going to do after this, right? I'm going to be, I'm going to power read like all the way through Lord of the Rings again <laughs> for the umpteenth time just to refresh my memory. That way the next That's time right. I'm on here, I'll be like, I'll, I'll just have it like that. So <laughs> there you Love go. It. Cool, cool. Love it. Yes. Well, thank you very much, uh, Feanor. This is the part of the podcast where we, as Gondor, call for aid. We ask you guys, we're lighting a beacon of our own and we're saying, Gondor calls for aid. Will you, Rohan, answer? Please light a beacon. Like, subscribe, follow us, hit us with more comments on the on the Twitter live stream. Go to YouTube, follow us there as well. Uh, just wherever you get your podcast or, or your YouTube, just give us some love. And if you want to jump on the podcast like the High King himself, uh, just shoot us up. Anyway, we love to talk Tolkien with, with other people. We love to debate Tolkien with other people. So whatever that looks like for you guys, we just love to hear from our listeners. Uh, we want this to be a fellowship, like we always say. So thank you for stepping out on the road with us. Until next time, we bid you a very fond farewell.